an A&E original podcast. Amira, how lucky and honored are we to have sat with our moms in a table that we built? They built the table for us and we invited them to our table. So that was super special. I didn't even think about that. I feel emotional now. What a moment. Inception. Is that what it's called? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, y'all. Welcome to The Table is Ours, the podcast where we discuss all things Black. From Black achievement to Black success to Black experiences, we cover it all at this table. This week, we have two very special guests. We have the most iconic guests that we could ever have. We have our moms in honor of Mother's Day, Kirby. Yes! So excited. (laughs) So we have my mother, Miss Sephora Lee Wally. Hello there. Hello. So nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. I am so grateful for you all to get me in this house. Thank you all for inviting me. Yes. And on my end, we have the OG of the Dixon family, my mom, Miss Gwen Dixon. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hi. <laughs> Amira, I get to finally meet you. I know. I am so excited to meet yeah. you, Miss Dixon, because let me just tell you, you yes. are iconic in my book. It's been a long time coming. And I'm so proud of you girls and Thank you for inviting us. (laughs) Oh, thank you. So every week, I usually get the honor of introducing my great co-host, Kirby. (laughs) But I only think it's right that we hear. We hear from the tree who planted the apple, the greatest apple that we have. (laughs) Miss Gwen, can you please describe Kirby? What was she like as a child? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. Well, for me, a daughter is a little girl who grows up to be a woman and a friend, and Kirby is just that. Aww. Kirby (laughs) Kirby is the right hand to my left hand, and I'm so proud of Kirby. Aww. Kirby is warm. She's giving. She's honest. She's creative and sincere. (laughs) Was I always like that, though? But Kirby, (laughs) you were always like that. In school. Oh, that's amazing. In school, the teachers used to ask me, what do you do? She, she she just does everything on point. But when she came home, she gave it to me. She had oh. to release it somewhere. So that's a little piece of Kirby. Oh, I love that. I thought this was going to be more embarrassing for the moms, but I think, Amira, this is actually more embarrassing for us. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm hot. I'm hot. But also, Miss Sephora, now I have to ask, Normally, I have the pleasure of saying all of the incredible things that I love about your daughter, Amira. But what was Amira like as a child? What do you love about your daughter? I love Amira as she's very honest. Mm -hmm. When she's growing up, very sensitive, you know, a little (laughs) thing, you know, she would take it and just started crying, (laughs) you know. (laughs) She don't like anybody to make fun of her. You know, she don't like anybody to yell at her, you know, but she's very, very honest child as she was growing up and she liked to be on top of everything. 
do everything perfect. Yes. So. <laughs> I get to see that every day. <laughs> All right, that was so sweet and also like so much nicer than I thought. I thought I was I thought she was gonna tell embarrassing stories, y'all. Yes. But you have to give us a moment to brag about our mothers because Kirby and I talk about our moms so often all of the time they hold the table down Amira they do (laughs) they are like pivotal to both of our lives and so important so to brag about my mother I think the easiest way to say it is like whenever I speak up I'm a mom or like my future I always say that if I could be like 118th the woman that she (laughs) is then I'm a good person like I just want to be like a little bit a little bit of how great and kind and like strong she is and I think we've spoken about before but the fact that she just kind of supports us in whatever we do Maybe not understands it. Maybe doesn't, yep. <laughs> doesn't know what we're doing right away. But she's like, okay, I know you believe what you're doing. Let's just figure out a way for you to do it. So my mom is iconic. Yes. She's the reason I'm here. If I could be like 118th or like 128th of who she is, I consider myself like the best person. Yes. I totally <laughs> understand that. And I think for me, I mean, sheesh, where do I start? I think my mom is the epitome of everything good that exists in this world. Like she is kind. She is thoughtful. She is thoughtless. She is smart. She is beautiful. She is a fashionista. (laughs) I could go on. And I think, you know, if I could say anything to you, mom, I'm just glad that it's your blood that runs through my veins. I couldn't have asked for... Oh, that's beautiful. I couldn't have asked for a better queen to be at the top of my castle, so... (laughs) We got so lucky, Kirby. We We got got so so lucky. lucky. We got so lucky. And Miss Avora, it's so nice to meet you. I feel like you're, I'm part of your family too. <laughs> Amir is my work Thank sister. Thank you. Thank you. So really nice to meet you. Really nice yeah. to see where she gets it from. Yes. All right. <laughs> nice to meet you. We just want to say to all the moms out there, we see you. We love you. We hope you had an incredible Mother's Day and got all of the flowers that you deserve. And to our moms, we love you. We couldn't so do much. this without you. And thank you for, for being here with us. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Know. you. And I <laughs> wanted to say thank you for inviting me because Kirby yeah. is my sweet pea. Oh, <laughs> I love her. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. You know, this is really, really great what you all are doing, you know. As a young women, you know, the younger kids are looking up to you all, you know. Mm-hmm. This is really good. Aww. The bottom of mm-hmm. my heart, I really thank you. Thank Aww. you. <laughs> thank you. I feel honored to have met Miss Quinn. <laughs> I feel like she was royalty. Ditto. Sitting in a, a virtual room of royalty. I feel special. The whole virtual room was painted gold when those two queens walked into the room. <laughs> But also, Amira, how lucky and honored are we to have sat with our moms in a table that we built? They built the table for us, and we invited them to our table. So that was super special. I didn't even think about that. I feel emotional now. What a moment. Inception. Is that what it's called? Yeah. (laughs) Is that what it's called? Inception? I thought it was like... What is that other movie? What is that other movie that like the mind blown? Is it Inception? Insi- I thought it was Insidious. Isn't Insidious a negative word? <laughs> I don't know. I thought, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was Insidious. <laughs> to everyone listening out there, no, you do not have to do well in English class to make it to where we are. <laughs> 
You're welcome. I actually did very well. I just power studied beforehand. Yeah, me too. But speaking of strong black women, you know who we have coming to the table as ours this week? Miss Naomi Ekparrigan. She is a stand-up comedian. She has a Comedy Central special. She's a comedy writer on basically every show that you think is funny and that you love. So I'm talking Broad City. I'm talking Search Party. And as if that wasn't enough, she's our podcast sister. So she hosts the new podcast, I Love a Lifetime Movie, as well as Couples Therapy, which is a podcast with her significant other. I love our podcast sister. We talked about being the only black girl in the room, especially the writer's room, navigating the stand-up world, which is always difficult, and interracial relationships. We got spicy, guys. Naomi Kerrigan, let's get it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The accent colors that are happening here. Amir is in all black and white with polka dots. I'm in black with a little bit of red. Naomi's in all red with polka dots. And we literally got in formation. We planned this. Without knowing. Yes. You know who we are? We're a little Destiny's Child. <laughs> we're a little Miss <laughs> Tina organized us. Yes, we're D3 here. I love it. Okay, that's all I had to call out. Miss <laughs> Tina prompted us. I love it. I'm Latavia. I feel like Latavia. We don't know where she is. She tried her best <laughs> and then she went to sleep. You know what that's not a bad place to be i know <laughs> is it okay question is latavia the one where beyonce's like you don't need your bags you could just leave is that latavia <laughs> i think so i feel like latavia was like kind of ousted it might have been dramatic yeah. oh i think me. it I'm was sure some, i'm sure a listener will correct us immediately oh, 100%. oh no wait we, we got told no that was farah <laughs> oh okay. farah oh i remember farah Farrah's one who had that show with, um, oh, who's the funny one from 3LW? Not Raven? No, not Raven. Oh, no, not Raven was never in 3LW. I'm always, confu- <laughs> I'm always confusing Cheetah Girls and 3LW. Yes, I hear you. Not uh, Adrian Bylon. No, Keely. Keely is oh, Keely. hilarious and strange. <gasps> she has a little lisp. Literally, if you have time on a Saturday night, you know what to do? Go look up her like music video. Uh-oh. It is. Keely is, Keely is interesting. Okay. <laughs> she is. Well, I hope you point. never describe me as interesting. I know. I know. That was very. It, you know, like when something is both vague and very specific? Yes. Where you're like, interesting is both telling me nothing and everything. Everything that you need to know. I caught all the shade. I caught all the shade. <laughs> Not shade, because, like, you know what I love? Weirdos. I love weird people. <laughs> I, like, I think you should go do you with your little yes. giraffe climbing, whatever flying. <laughs> yes. Do it. Like, be. Be happy. Just leave me alone. But I support you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I understand that. 
But first of all, welcome to The Table is Ours. We're yes. so excited to have you. Naomi in the building. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. This is the dream. She got me doing a jig. I don't even I don't even normally do this, but I'm excited. I love it. Get some shoulder work going in the morning. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a little early, but like I feel when we first when we first met you, I was like, oh, I have to have a drink when we interview her because it's so fun. Like I feel like I'm chatting with my girlfriends. Yes. Yeah. But or I'm stressed early. because She's so funny. You're so hilarious. Oh, you're too good to me. Thank you both, queens. Kirby and Amira, you're too good to me in the morning. I'm like, it's funny. I am not a um, morning person. Like, if left to my own devices, I wouldn't start work till 4 p.m. Wow. Like, I could work from like 4 to 11, and that would be like my idea of a good time. 4 is when I check out. Okay, you're done by 4. But like, are you up in the morning, just like active and going? If you get me up, I am wired. It's like wow. hard to get me up. If I'm up, I'm like talking, ready to go. Everyone's like, Amira, shut up. When it's up, <laughs> it is stuck. It's stuck. It is stuck, honey. Yes. <laughs> okay, wait. So first question. We've <laughs> we've missed the first question that we're supposed to ask everyone on this show. <laughs> we ask everyone the same question because this year has been so hectic, so chaotic. So we want to know, how are you? How are you really? <sighs> I'm doing my best. That's what I say. Just doing my best, you know, but... The listener can't tell. I look very tired. I had to squint my eyes and hang my head down when asked that question. It's like, I'm trying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, are any of us doing well? No. If someone's doing well, I think that's very rude. That is a terrorist <laughs> attack. I don't want to know. Yeah. Like, nobody asked you, but we did, but we didn't. Exactly. I had a friend, though, who was like, I want to feel like, a, you know, a few months ago, pre-vax life, she was like, I'm doing great. You know, I don't like to be social and I'm getting so much writing done. And wow. I was like, I have to go. We cannot continue this conversation. <laughs> and she meant it. In the words of Amira, I love that for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that is not my reality, okay? I love that you're thriving, but keep it over there. Yes. <laughs> or pass some over here, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I totally hear that. But also, we want to shout you out, Naomi, because we are podcast sisters. Get it, get Shout it, get out it, to it, I Love it, it, a Lifetime it. Movie. I feel like we should be singing because we are sisters. We stick together. <laughs> we make, make up, up one big Yes. Even we don't look the same. 3LW, TLC, Cheetah Girls. Cheetah Girls. We have reunited. I love it. You guys take me back to the best years of my life. 1994. Was a good year. But tell us a little bit about this podcast, which we, that's how we first met. Yes. One, we love Lifetime movies. Yes, we And do. we, <laughs> we paired with Naomi and her podcast sister to like hop on a podcast podcast is hello and it was like instant energy so before we jump in (laughs) please tell us about this new podcast well of course well me and one of my closest white women we watch (laughs) lifetime movies and we recap and it's that simple and that elegant and it's so fun i really feel like what's funny because you know i don't know about y'all but like i grew up on lifetime movies yeah Yeah. you know and i remember watching them when i was probably way too young to be watching them right and i thought i was like oh my god being a woman is hard someone's always (laughs) stalking you um but i love them and so when the opportunity to like host a podcast i was like and like direct from the source i was like lifetime has consented to this absolutely and um it's so fun i think it was also a great thing to come through in quarantine because it was like oh yeah i'm sitting at home watching nonsense yes. so if you could bring more my way that would be perfect 
I feel like lifetime movies are great for like quarantine because yes. this is very petty and bad. But I liked <laughs> watching other people's mess during quarantine. Like, oh, I don't have it so bad. Oh yeah, you're messy. I like that. And Lifetime does messy so well. Like, <laughs> absolutely. They may have actually. You look in the dictionary, see what mess definition is. Lifetime movies. <laughs> Lifetime. I know. I mean, well, that's how I feel also about true crime. Like true crime for me, it's very much there, but for the grace of God, go I. When I'm watching myself a murder show. I'm like, you're doing okay. You're doing yes. okay. <laughs> Whatever you was worried about, you have not been locked in a box nope. by a man you met in a rest stop. Yep. You are doing great. You're thriving, baby. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You done made it. You made it. <laughs> but they are so fun. We absolutely love listening to you guys talk about it because usually whatever you guys are thinking or saying or is what I was actually thinking. So shout out (laughs) between lifetime movie, a glass of wine. That's literally all you need. I'm surprised this wasn't a podcast sooner, but shout out to you guys. Thank you so much. Better late than never. honey. Especially because they're like a million movies. Like if you, go on the Lifetime Movie Club. And this is all I'm going to say. Like, this is, <laughs> literally just type in any word and there will be a movie. Like if you write twin, it'll be like killer twin, yes. my lost twin, my twin, my lover. It's like <laughs> there is so much to discuss. So that's what I like the best. I'm like, yeah, we'd be doing this podcast for 20 years at this rate. <laughs> yes. Well, we are so excited to have you here. We're so proud of you guys. We love your podcast and are blessed to have you now on ours. Oh my God, this energy. This is beautiful. We had to shout it out real quick. But <laughs> we love it. We love it. We are going to delve right in because you have such a interesting and dope origin story, one that we both relate to, to be honest. So yeah. we're just going to get into it. Okay. So- you graduated from, I feel like I should say Dalton. Like you have to say it with an accent. <laughs> yes. yes, that is. I understand that impulse. Yeah, one of the most uppity, pri- <laughs> is it a private school in New York? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. It's private. Very private. Very private. <laughs> you see how I'm sitting up straight here to talk to you right now? I know. I, I feel, feel like, like- <laughs> I feel like my inflection should change really quickly. <laughs> and Wesleyan University. And Amir and I both kind of grew up in PWIs, predominantly white institutions for anyone mm-hmm. that does not know. White spaces. Very white spaces. Yes. White spaces. Uh-huh. Yes. So wondering kind of what was that experience like for you growing up as a black woman in Harlem to started off Uh, you know I I always say Dalton is why I do comedy right like I like that just I think you know so yeah I grew up in Harlem and it's just funny because now if I meet someone and I'm like oh yeah I'm from Harlem I went to Dalton they go ooh fancy and I'm like babe I'm from OG Harlem okay I'm from do the right thing Harlem I'm from Harlem in the 80s get out of (laughs) here but you know from going you know from Harlem to Park Avenue it was you know in and I started there in, was it fifth grade? Honestly, that's a movie title. From Harlem to Park Avenue. There you go. <laughs> that's your memoir, girl. That's the memoir. <laughs> that's the truth. It was just like, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like until mm-hmm. I got there and it was like, okay, I don't really fit here. I think I'm going to have to be funny. Like it was, it was just like, well, how am I going to make this space work for me? And I think it was like, that's kind of how I tapped in. I mean, I was a shy kid to start. Like those first two years of that school, I was like, oh God, I hate this. It's always the shy kids that start to shine. (laughs) Always. And also like, I don't know about y'all, but like there was a meanness I didn't know young girls could be. 
until I got around rich girls. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. It's like a mind game where it's like, you are 11. You haven't even menstruated yet, but you know how to cut me to my core. How? Yes. Those little white kids love to flaunt mommy and daddy's money too. It's like, at this point, it's not even yours. These aren't your coins. I remember so distinctly, we were at a, me and another black girl, we had both started the same year. We started in sixth grade and we had a friend. Her name was Becky before Becky was the thing, right? So I had yes. an early Becky in my life. And we were like going, we like stopped, you know, this is old days, honey. So we stopped at a payphone and she had to call her mom. I forget what the mom was saying, but she said, mom, you're being a real bitch right now. And literally me and the other black girl, we just like froze and stared (laughs) at each other and was like, her mom about to be her through the phone. Her mom about to be her through the phone. And it was like, and nothing happened. And I was like, okay, okay. This is where it starts. This is where the problem starts. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that honestly just gave me chills. I'm scared. Did my mom hear the word bitch? Am I gonna get I can't even say the word ass on this podcast without being like, oh my god, my mom is gonna hear this and snatch me through these headphones. <laughs> I totally get that. I mean, I went to who I guess in this way I'm super privileged because I've gone to private school my entire life too in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Okay, Philly. Almost all PWIs. Yeah. And I just remember this one time when we were in high school. We had a class. Now, this how, this is going to tell you how white my school was. <laughs> I love that we say it like that. <laughs> you must always add the H. White, always. White. Like it's white. a question. Well, my school had a class called Being Black in America. What? Mm. Yes, ma'am. Um, it was <laughs> before everyone decided to be woke, which I guess is kudos to them, but... Now, in retrospect, I'm like, dang, we really needed a class called Being Black in America, but okay. <laughs> and it was taught by the very few, one of the black teachers that we had I was going to say, class. at least it was a black teacher. Good That's, Lord. Yes. They might have had one person who was like, I studied abroad in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> so, thank God. I mean, I wouldn't have person. been surprised at that either. And... All the kids, it was literally like a cookout. It was a family reunion. All the black kids, whether you wanted to take the class or not, you felt like you were obligated yeah. to take this class. It was the one time where if someone peeked into the room, we were the majority. Oh, <laughs> and, that's nice. You know, and most of the times, you know, we're, we're learning about the history. They don't teach you in the history books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we did have a white attendee in the class, which, to be honest, I do not remember who it was, but I should be best friends with them at this point. But, yeah, I, I'm just – I was connecting with you and we were, like, researching you and learning more about your story because I'm like, wow, I have been there my entire life. I've been navigating these spaces my entire yeah. life. And I never really realized or reflected on it until maybe college. And now we're talking about it so openly on this podcast. I'm like, dang, I really have been through some crazy experiences. <laughs> um, but so totally understand where where you're coming from, having gone to Dalton yeah. <laughs> and then to Wesleyan. Because, whoo, some of them stories and some of the things that you see as right. a black person, as the minority in these spaces. And like you said, the things that you hear. Because yeah. right. I, I have some stories that I could tell for days between the accessibility to alcohol, the accessibility to yes. drugs, the things that oh I was God, never yes. exposed to. Okay, can we please talk about that? Because <laughs> I was like, you're doing cocaine? Cocaine? <laughs> Before third period? <laughs> cocaine? I know. It's wild. I remember like our yearbook, there was like, you know, like a page where it was just like random photos, but they would put quotes. And there was one kid under his quote, it was, whose line is it anyway? And of course it was 
as far as teachers knew, we were talking about the TV show. As far as all the students knew, it was this is a boy who did coke all the time. And it was like, who's <laughs> Is he a comedy writer now? Because that was clever. <laughs> that was very smart. <laughs> no, his ass is like probably like a hedge fund manager. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Who is like probably, hopefully went to rehab at least once. Because I said, when you're doing coke at 15, you are going to be making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. That's a hard start. <laughs> Yeah, but it is all about that accessibility. If you have access to it, they said, let's try it. Meanwhile, my butt was home doing sports, coming and studying. I didn't know what any of this stuff was. I was, like, blind to it. But also, I think that's the difference. I think when I got older, I realized black kids who did weed, drugs, quote, unquote, (laughs) okay, (laughs) we had so much trouble. And, like, it was, like, don't do it. Like, yeah. the crack era was, like, it's just, like, this myth yeah. for us. Like, it hurt us so much. So when I got to white space and I was, like, you just wrecked us? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> this is hard. Like, this, it hurt. It, like, that era hurt our community so much that I was, like, okay. I think we tiptoe into these things a little differently. But, hey. Definitely. But also, I think when, it's not simply just to be black, but to be black in a white space right because i know it's like that feeling of you know when you said kirby like, it's like you know i came home i was doing my work it's like i don't know about y'all but it was like kind of ingrained into me to be a good girl because i was in a space where nobody was gonna give me any leeway yeah. right mm-hmm. like there no one's checking for you so you have to check yourself and nobody is you know sitting here supporting you and giving you the benefit of the doubt so you gotta like behave. You gotta behave. That's it. exactly. That's why we can't. We can't dabble in all of that because I was like, I gotta win somehow. And they told us it, you can dabble and win. Like I, I know people who do the cocon and are like <laughs> hedge fund runners and like are like are in like bright people. But we couldn't do it and win. Yeah, y'all. My parents are over here trying to think how do I get her into the best college possible with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Potential funding. My dad put me in golf camp because in his head, he's thinking, hmm, black girls in golf. That's smart. There's probably a scholarship for that. There's very little people that do that. Right. And I, it was a gag that I was like, I'll do it as long as I get to drive the golf cart. So it was like, (laughs) I scammed my dad into thinking I really wanted to play golf, but no, I really just wanted to drive. Wait, how old were you when you were golfing? (laughs) 13, 14. This is wild. That's so funny because I imagine you, like your dad was literally like, well, Venus and Serena already took tennis. Uh-huh. So what are our options? Every black person does track. So count right, that out. Right, right, right. I mean, you could have done volleyball. Yeah. Volleyball could have been a thing, maybe. I didn't like the short shorts. They were weird. <laughs> I have no athletic prowess whatsoever. So, but it was funny because I, well, like I pretty much went through puberty at 11. I've I'm 5'8 now. I was 5'6 when I was 10, right? So at 10, people kept being like, you got to play basketball. You got to play sports. You got to do whatever. And I was like, I don't like to sweat in public. I will not be doing this, you know? But they kept trying to push me into it when I was younger. And I was like, no, I'm going to sit here and read my stories, which is what I call Babysitter's Club. Oh, I like that. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Naomi, did you ever have a desire to fit in with that group? Like when you found out, okay, I'm going to be funny. Did you use comedy as a way to fit in with your classmates? Well, kind of, but I will say, like, I was never, um, what's the word? The popular girls, right? Like, that group of Megan, Sarah, Lindsay, size zero, Mm -hmm. I was not friends with those people. Yeah. Right? But I had my crew. And, like, looking back, I'm actually quite grateful that I was a nerd, you know? Because I think that 
with my low self-esteem, if a boy had looked at me, I would have been pregnant. You know what I mean? Like, I would have been 16 and pregnant. Because I felt so bad. And, like, if any guy had been like, hey, girl, hey, I would have been like, is sex love? Like, it would have yeah. been that. So, I'm very grateful. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you use any of those stories, like, in your comedy now? Like, any of those stories or, like, any of those thoughts that pushed you? Also, look at you now. I oh, know. my gosh. <laughs> they better tap in. Mm. can i get a ticket to the show no no okay <laughs> oh my god no. that's i mean that's the dream right like yeah. there was some time where it was like you know how like when facebook was kind of the thing and there were a, maybe i don't know y'all are young so y'all don't, maybe it was never the thing but there was a time when it was like people from high school were really using facebook and i remember kind of as i was trying to do stuff these people would be friending me and i'll tell you this right now i'm petty and i forget nothing so <laughs> if you did me wrong in seventh grade Yes. You yes. cannot be my friend in 2010. That's just Ooh, a fact. Yes. That's yes. me. Is it mature? No. No, it's not. But that's who I am. Mm-hmm. How did you guys find each other? Philly to Houston. How did this love begin? <sighs> Tell our love story, Amanda. I will, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we um we both work for a So I'm in development. Okay. She's in yeah, yeah. PR. She's on history. I'm on a brand. But our brands were next to each other, and we're really only black women on our whole floor. Okay. Like, not just our brands. That's it. So we just naturally gravitated and it became like an authentic friendship like right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Amira has good energy. Yeah. She's up early. She's talking. Yeah. She's like active. I'm talking. I can feel that out right away. <laughs> it doesn't matter what race you are. If your energy is bad, guess who's staying away? This one right here. Wow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It just worked. We're very lucky in that way. Yeah. We got spoiled. I mean, I knew you guys worked at A&E, but I didn't know if like that's how the love began or if it was like we knew each other before which is crazy because we have so many mutual friends you would think that we would have met but we had never met before yeah and now we have you in the fold so okay trio <laughs> welcome we love it <laughs> getting a little tired of your broken promises promises <laughs> that was yeah, the 3lw whenever she would have that lisp when she goes premises premises the th yeah we love it bless her heart oh my god i hate y'all so much <laughs> <laughs> so question what came first, writing or stand-up for you? Okay, I was always writing, like, as a kid, right? Like, the go-to birthday present would be, like, a pretty journal. Like, I love to do creative writing, but when it actually came time to share stuff with the world, perform, like, it kind of was stand-up. Like, once I started doing stand-up, I, like, I didn't know how you became a TV writer. I didn't understand that. Like, I was like, I want to do stand-up. Also, you know, stand-up, there's the low barrier to entry. Like, you, you know obviously open mics but even once you do actual shows like you and a microphone hopefully and like the back of a bar anywhere you can get you know I'm from New York so also like there's so much so many places to do comedy so when I moved home it was like okay I'm gonna try this and so once I did that and and also I wanted to be an actor I wanted to be an actor from the age I was like five years old right and I remember in the 90s the 90s were a time where a lot of stand-up like a lot of comedians had sitcoms especially black comedians. And so I remember just kind of feeling like, well, maybe stand-up is going to be my way in. If I do this and, you know, kind of just establish my personality, maybe someone will come and choose me. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. We, I, the cusp, right? Like there was a time I think where people were chosen, scouted, found, and like things were built around them. But now it's very much like write your own story, write the script, do all that, you know? So I kind of had to go back to the writing roots, right? If I wanted to do any of the other stuff. 
Yeah. It's funny because Amir and I talk about this all the time, and I think I was reading an article that you had been interviewed okay, on. Okay, research. You guys are really <laughs> researching. This is huge. We did the research, but we talk about how there was like this era, and I think it was about the 80s and 90s, when there was no lack of representation for us on the television. So you could watch TV and find someone that looked like you and be like, oh, I want to be like that. Yes. Whereas, and then we went through a little drought, and now we're back in this age where it's like diversity, black people, yeah. uh, yep. Asian people, like everywhere. It's like a buzzword, right? So that's so funny that you said that because I think growing up in the 90s was a privilege because you could turn on the TV and be like, oh my God, all these dope black people doing amazing yep. things. They're funny. They're beautiful. Yeah. They're, they dress well. They have good jobs. Did you go into Wesleyan with that same mentality? Like, What did you study when you were there? And were you trying to get in front of the camera? Yeah, so I went in with the plan to be a theater and English major. And then I got there, and part of the requirement for theater was this tech, a tech class where you had to do 100 hours of tech, you know, Ooh. backstage. And, and they were like, and I remember you, the first day, because I would enrolled in it to start, and they were like, so we suggest freshmen take this class because this class will take up your entire life, and you don't have a life yet. And it was like <laughs> literally how the class was built. And then like, I want to say two weeks in, I, I got a part in a play and I was like, oh no, I will not be building sets. Sorry. <laughs> and I ended up being an English and film major. And that was film studies, even though we did some production. But through that, like I found like I did improv that kind of got me into stand up. And, you know, college was where it all I started to do it more and where it all kind of clicked, like being doing a lot of plays, being in people's like student films and all that stuff. But again, right, like. I remember at one point I like called my mom and I was like, I think I want to drop my English major. And she was like, absolutely not. <laughs> she was like, are you kidding me? Because the whole thing was, it's like, well, what am I going to do when I leave here? Right? Like, how do you make a living in this? There is a reason why I think really successful younger people in this business are white because they have the financial safety net to come out of college and like go straight for it and hustle and work for nothing. And yeah. it's, a, it's a privilege. Truly. It's a privilege to do your dream and be broke. Yeah. At 22 and like also have a place to live. You know, I worked, my first job out of college was an acting job. I worked with the national theater of the deaf and that was based in Connecticut. We traveled around the country, but you know, they put us up room and board, you know, it wasn't high paying, but they put us up. So I didn't lose money. And that was like a year of that. And then I came home and then I like got a job working at an art magazine. Hello, English major. And <laughs> then I did that <laughs> for a long time. And it's like, you know, I remember like sometimes I would be like, <coughs> I have to go to the doctor. And I would like run to an audition, you know, and like try to come back. And, you know, <laughs> I could never like that's how I had to do it. There was no way I was just going to like not have income yeah how have all these experiences kind of like informed your comedy writing like all these travels these experiences going to these pwis growing up in new york like i'm so curious like what was that first joke that you used <laughs> all of this type of stuff like is that what you pull from definitely i definitely pulled from that you know that upbringing because i think you know as actors as comedians you know both you learn very early on how people see you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's a real, it's a real mind, f I think, right? Because no matter what you do, you need confidence, you need like integrity, you need self-assurance. But at the same time, you're in an industry that is so predicated on what other people decide you are. Yep. Mm. And it's like, how, how, you know? And so, you know, very early on, I know 
you know, if I get up on stage at a comedy club in New York as a black woman, you expect me to be a certain way. And then I get up and I talk about how I took a white lover and he gentrified my vagina. You don't see it coming. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Jubu. Shout out to Jubu. Bless. Bless. Okay. Like, that's not what people expect to hear from me, right? And like, especially when I got with Jubu, my Jewish boo, we've been together 11 years. I started doing stand up. 13 years ago so he was a big part of my early stand-up stuff you know yeah and you know the last thing people would expect to hear is me talking about going to seder with my jewish boyfriend Mm -hmm. right because they don't you know they don't want us to contain multitudes so (laughs) when you get up there and it's like playing that game and just like knowing i know what you think you're gonna hear and i'm not gonna I'm not going to give it to you. I love that surprise. And some audiences can roll and some couldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I had black folks boo me. Like I remember I was doing a show and I brought, and I started with Jubu and like, there was like a group of, it was a, it was a black room, but then there was like a specifically like a group of maybe like four dudes and they just started booing me. Wow. And it was just like, okay. Wait, they started booing you when you brought up your white boo. Yeah, and I immediately, I was like, mm. do one of y'all want a date? I was going to say, I smell a hater. Hello, yeah. where's the ring? Thank you. It's like, it's like, ah. Uh. But it was like, but it's like that kind of thing. Because I don't know about y'all, but it's always been this thing to me about like, I was never black enough for black people. Oh, Naomi. You know, they said I talk white. And then like, you know, sure as shit, I'm too black for white people. Right? So yeah. it's like, what are you doing? Because it's like, my dad's from Nigeria. My mom's from Detroit. I'm black, bitch. Like, that's just it. That's it. <laughs> right. And yet you would get around, quote, your own people, and you're not enough, mm-hmm. you know? I dealt with that my entire life, like my entire life. So much so that actually I remember writing my college essay, getting into schools about mm-hmm. that, about really? navigating not oh. being black enough for the black kids and at times being too black for the white kids mm-hmm. and not understanding where I was supposed to fit in this world. So like, if you go through like that version of Kirby from graduating high school into maybe the first two years of college, I was just rolling with the punches. But yeah, I, I totally relate to you. And it does feel like there's a double standard sometimes. Like you don't know yeah. what to do. All right, y'all. <laughs> Amira, like how was like, you know, Texas when it came to some of that, because I do think the South is another animal when you talk about like race stuff, you know? Oh yeah. We talk mm-hmm. about it a lot on this show, actually. And I think it's when, like, I moved to New York right before the troll Trump era happened. Mm-hmm. And do you remember the day after Trump was elected, what it was like being on the train? Like, it was silent, right? It was silent. Yes. A darkness fell. Yes. That was my first experience with white guilt. <laughs> I was like, oh, they feel bad up here sometimes? <laughs> because me and my friends down here talk about it, and they're like, you know what? The white person's okay. Like, they let us live. They told us their grandpa is racist, whatever. But I was like, white guilt is a thing? Yeah. Like, it's it's totally different. And I think I I kind of got down on myself for a few years. I was like, why did I accept that in the South? And I realized, oh, it's survival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> survival. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and Houston is supposedly, like, quote, unquote, they, they pride themselves the most, like, they were place in the country, technically. And I'm like, this is a very deep conservative red place, no matter what color you are, what race right. you are. Right, right, right. So it's different. I'm still playing with the differences from New York and Texas. It's a different world. I will say I'm like, I feel a little freer in New York, obviously. Obviously, yes. But I like knowing in Texas, you know who does not mess with you. That's Mm. myself. And I don't like that. New York has a 
undercover racism where in Texas yeah. where I'm like, hey, you don't like me. I don't like you either. Let's, <laughs> I'll keep my corner. We can keep key. <laughs> Go over there. You stay on that block and I will stay, I'll on, stay this on this block. <laughs> it's like, it's like a war. It's okay. I'll stay here. And I, like I know war, she it's says like dancing. a war. <laughs> I know where not to go when the sun goes down, and I—it's horrible, but I appreciate where the boundaries are. Yeah, in New yep, York, yep, yep. I feel like that racism that like stabs in the back is wrong. I don't like it. Well, it's funny though, but you see, here's the difference though: no one's going to literally stab you in the back in New York, That's and true. somebody might literally stab you in the back in Houston. hundred percent. Because I feel that way in moving to LA. You know, LA to me is also like, I mean, just the, you know, the whole industry, right? So it, there's a fakeness to it all, but also just not knowing. And this is such a segregated city. Like mm, I'll walk yeah. around and I'm like, maybe I'll see two black people on a good day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I live in Hollywood, which, you know, is the middle. Like it should kind of be the most diverse, you know, as, in terms of parts. You would think. Yeah. You would think. And it's not. And it's like, I know what you mean. Cause I'm like, oh, like, I don't know when I'm in a given place, like what the vibe is, especially because also people don't walk around as much. Right. So it's kind of like, and again, I watch too many murder shows. So I'm constantly like, someone is going to kill me and nobody is going to hear me scream. I hate that. Okay. I love a lifetime movie. I know. <laughs> Maybe it's not the true crime. Maybe it's some of these lifetime movies. They owe me. Oh, it's true. They got into me. I think before I got into true crime, there were lifetime movies. It was just like when you're like 12 years old and staying up late. Yes. Being like, Oh my God. Is he obsessed with her? And is it love or is it dangerous? Mm-hmm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Naomi, you spoke about kind of having, you know, a white lover and using him as fuel for your stand-up. Did you ever feel like there was a double standard? I see it all the time, so I have my personal opinions. But is there a double standard between black women dating white men versus when black men date white women or vice versa? There's never an issue. We don't normally call that out in the same way that we do our black queens. That's so interesting. It's funny because I will say whenever... I see, like, a black dude with a white girl, even though I am in an IRC, I'd be like, oh, I'm so disappointed <laughs> in you. And it's like, what am I doing? But you know what it is? It's less about, um, I have no problem with interracial love as much as I'm like, you know, the most disrespected person is the black woman. Mm-hmm. You know? And so when I see these relationships, I'm like, I'm like, oh, why couldn't you love one of our queens? Right. But, and like, it, so it's like more like what that represents, not the actual, like, what is wrong with this white person, right? You see what I'm saying? Right. Again, trust me, I'll get added. I know it's insane, and I'm revealing to you because we're soul sisters. Because I know <laughs> it makes no sense. But it's funny because, as I said, you know that example of, like, being on stage and, so, and like, these dudes booing. But here's the thing about it, though. I'm going to tell you what I have noticed in 11 years of this love. Spill the tea. <laughs> Black men only have a problem with my interracial love when I'm out in these streets looking good. It's okay. Honey, when I am looking regular, <laughs> when I got the ponytail going, the spectacles on, and a loose pant from Costco, they don't say a word. They say take her. They go take her. Take her ass off her hands. But if I'm coming through with a contact lens and a look, 
suddenly I'm a discredit to the race. And I'm like, I see you. I see you. <laughs> you only have a problem when I'm wearing my Spanx. Get out of here. Right. It is so funny because I've been seeing these memes, which is literally me in a nutshell. I only get dressed up for this podcast. Okay. <laughs> 90% of the time, I look busted. I am. I understand. Yes. Drake said, what? Hair tie, no makeup on. That is me, but I don't know if that's when I'm the prettiest. But that is what you're going to get majority of the time. Trick be lying. He be lying all the time. Don't even try it, Aubrey. But okay, Aubrey. Oh, Aubrey. I have this conversation with my boyfriend a lot because I've been with him six years. Before me, he had one ex that was black, but he literally basically only dated white women. Is he a white lover? Do you have a white lover? No, he's oh, black. Okay, black lover. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And before him, I dated black guys who usually dated black women. It, there's a learning curve that bugs me that I'm like, you're a black man. You should not be asking about my bonnet. Really? Yes. He was coming through asking about a bonnet? Next. And he has black sisters. Exactly. It's like, did you have a mother? Did you have a sister? Totally did. But I guess because it wasn't someone he was dating, it like it was like a learning curve. And I was like, I just, I don't care. I, I think you should date whoever you wanted to date before me, whatever. Right. I just wish you got through this phase. Yes. Right. Where we're learning new things that you yeah. should already know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I I feel that. I feel that. I mean, like, because I will say there is something. But, you know, I think what I've had. I'm trying to think, though, because like Wesley and where I went to school was very like woke white. Like we were using gender neutral pronouns before that was a thing. Like we're coming through in 2001 being like Z, you know, that's people were using Z for a while. Yeah. And it was like and so that was a place where people were like kind of open to thinking. But with that came this sense of like, you want to try me. And this is like part of your growth and your experience, which is not sexy, right? Then, so I think like what I like about my lover now is this feeling of like, he didn't have expectations around my blackness. There was not, you're supposed to behave a certain way as a black woman. You got a good one, girl. Exactly. And I think that's the thing that took me a while because I think sometimes I found that men who were not black, who wanted to be with a black woman or not even necessarily like, I need a black woman, but even just interested they had so many other associations with that blackness that was like, I don't know how to perform this for you. I don't know how to do it. You know? Yeah. Like your idea of being with a black woman is not what I am. So exactly. Yeah. When in reality, it should just be like, oh, I like you. I will get to You're know. cute. You're yeah. cute. Exactly. You're a cutie. Exactly. But exactly. I will say when I was younger, I was like, hmm, is it different to date white guys? I had so many <laughs> boys. I, had so many <laughs> boys. I was like, I, maybe I gotta switch it up. I was like, hey, team, like, maybe I gotta change things up. It's different. But I really just shouldn't have been dating. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I had my my cousins asked me that. They were like, "What's it like to kiss a white boy?" Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I was like, "His lips are a little thinner, but that's <laughs> it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine." That's so funny. Well, I do want to get us back into your comedy world and your writing world. Okay. Okay. Kirby is really trying to keep us on the straight and narrow, Amira. Honestly, she's the straight and narrow of my life because I'm a little <laughs> chaos. I'm a mess. So <laughs> you just call me granola girl, but I'm going to no! take it. No, I'm, a, I'm a, okay. <laughs> no, listen, all out of love. I got you. I will keep us there. Okay. I love it. I love it. But I want to talk to you about being a black woman in a white writer's room because you have written for some incredible shows. One of my favorites, which is Broad City. Ooh. <laughs> freaking hilarious. Oh, thanks. But can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Broad City? I know the story, but you can say it anyway. <laughs> and what that was like for you. Yeah, so, you know, as I said, I had worked at an art magazine, right? 
And then in January 2013, I got laid off. And I'm not a person, you know, I've worked very hard to let go of shame around things. And so, for instance, when I didn't have a job, I made sure everybody knew it. I was like, hey, I'm looking. Hey, I need work. And one of those people was Alana Glazer, you know, one of the creators of Broad City. And we had known each other through the comedy world in New York. That's where we met. And I remember I had been working on a web series and I remember like showing it to her because she at the time was the only person I knew who had made a web series. You know, Broad City started as a web series. So at first I was, you know, it was not, um, what's the word? I wasn't scheming. I didn't have bigger plans. I was just like, you've made a web series. Does the, do these scripts look about right in terms of like the length and the style and all that kind of stuff? And so that's how she also became familiar with me as someone who wanted to write and someone who was trying to do stuff. So that when Broad City started, she came through and she was like, hey, you know, we have a writer's assistant position. Would you want to interview? You know, and Alana is not somebody who just gives it out. Like, it's legit like, do you want to interview? And it was like, okay. That's great. And, um, and, and I remember she was like, you know, it's like, it's not going to pay very much. I was like, is it more than unemployment? Right. <laughs> is it more than zero? Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm in. And so I started as a writer's assistant and that's not a creative job even though I got like a couple of ideas or you know pitches in but for the most part that job you're kind of like the room stenographer you're taking notes and then the writers use those notes you know when it's time to actually put the episodes together so you probably sit in the corner like kind of listening following it quiet you know and then season two they invited me in as a as a staff writer so I was an assistant on one and then a staff writer on two and three and that was my introduction to TV writing. As I said, I didn't know how it happened. And I actually got really, really lucky to work on one, a comedy in New York, because there's not a lot of scripture comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be on a female led show with a mostly female writer's room. Even though, of course, I was only POC. That's what I was going to ask you. Oh, most definitely. At least it was more women because I also didn't know at the time that that was a rarity. Yeah. I didn't know that yet. Right. You know, and it was like a small group where I was like, at least I know these people. Because, you know, the thing with writer's rooms is like, it's all alchemy. It's meaning it's like, to me, it's one of the few jobs where who you work with makes or breaks it like any of us like you can have an office job but you know it's like if this person working your nerve you just get in your cubicle and just try to ignore them you know what i mean or like you limit your in a writer's room you don't have that we're all sitting at a table anywhere from like eight to 12 hours a day and it's like if we don't vibe we're screwed yeah right and so it definitely writer's rooms in general like give me flashbacks to dalton it takes me back because i'm in a room for the most part mostly white folks also a lot of wealthy ones, right? Whether they have just started and what we said about white kids starting out with some money or they've been in the business a long time. You know, if you're a long time TV writer, you got some money. So either way, I'm in this room with people who also the nature of the work, you're not in reality. And I don't mean delusional. I just mean that like, again, in LA, nobody, you don't walk the streets. Nobody takes the bus. No one knows like what's going on outside of the business and their world. Their little bubble. Yeah, that's just it. So- it's a really different animal, but you know, it's just funny because what's can be tricky again. And I'll say this and like, you know, you have to show people how to treat you and you have to like show them how to see you. So, right. As somebody who's been like, I want to be an actor. I have no problem. I go, I don't like to write. <laughs> Isn't that so rude? Look, I don't <laughs> mind it. It's more like, that's not where I want to put my focus. Right. Because what I found now is, you know, as you were saying before Kirby, like, diversity is the buzzword people want poc but it's like well i call it they want you to be black for the brochure they want you in the room 
so the record can show they did their thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yet I've often found that when I then speak from a place of my blackness, my femaleness, you know, it's like when you're in a room of people and they're like, we don't get it. Right. Uh, we were going to ask you about that, too, because even being on a show where your friend, this is your friend's show, and you auditioned, you earned your stripes, but you, like, essentially brought you in. Was there ever a joke that you had suggested for that writer's room that did not land in that room because it was predominantly white, but it would have landed in our community? Yeah, because they just don't get it sometimes. I know. I don't, I'm, I cannot remember what Broad City, only because it's so long ago. So, like, I don't, I don't. No. What about Search Party? Because Search Party is one of my favorite shows, but that show is very white. V white. <laughs> and I'm only saying this because when I seek out content, I usually don't watch white shows because I'm like, that's the world I live in. Right, right, day. right. Exactly. But Search Party does something for me. <laughs> 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 it, it does it. And the fact that y'all gave us two seasons during this quarantine, y'all yes. deserve the trophy. Beautiful. Yes, absolutely. But like, is there anything? Because I. That show is so white. There's like one black guy that I feel like I know. we don't even know yeah, anything yeah, about yeah. him. Do too much. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Is there anything that you pitch that is a scenario that we would get that they just don't get? Yes. So, for instance, John Early's character who... So funny. In later seasons, <laughs> I love him. He's so fucking funny. Like, in later seasons, he, he kind of becomes this, like, conservative pundit or whatever. Yes. It's hilarious. <laughs> and so I pitch that he would have, like, a black boyfriend who's conservative like a la diamond and silk yep because it was part of a larger conversation because it was like well we don't have diversity and i go okay this is something we can do and in the search party world it's a little subversive because you don't expect to see the black person who's conservative right and i'm like and i also pointed to you know that guy my milo oh yeah milo yeah he was like married to a black dude and i'm like <gasps> very obsessed with who that black person is i'm like yeah. how what why right <laughs> And I just thought, I was like, that'd be such a funny, first of all, it's like a character we don't see. It's so search party to do that because search party just roasts everybody. Yeah. Like no mm -hmm. one's safe. And I was like, what about this kind of person? And again, I was like, look at these videos of Diamond and Silk. Look at Milo's, you know, we're not making this up. But then they really, they were like, I don't know. Is it like bad? Like if, if we have like not a lot of black people, but then that black person is like a conservative asshole is that good? <sighs> you know what? That is what you just said is the point of where we are in TV as a whole. And our execs are trying to be careful. Mm -hmm. And what I'm texting, I'm like, oh, at least you're being careful. Um, the yes. Southern in me. Yeah. But you're not letting people be who they are. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. There are black conservatives who do this that have dated Milo. So that is a real right. character. And yeah. I thank you for like wanting to not be super negative. But if you're positive more often, we could actually show real characters. Right. Exactly. But also, I kind of felt like, too, it's, you know, as you said, it's like this also this flip. Because, again, that is a show that skewers everybody. So why can't the black person be skewered? You're also, you're not, you're still doing a separate but equal vibe. I was like, this is the world of the show. Like, you should be able to make fun of everybody, no matter what color they are. But because, again, I think if there had been another black person in that room who was like, oh yeah, that would be funny as hell, that might have bolstered it. Because that's the problem. If I'm the only one saying it and everyone else is like afraid of it, it's not going to happen. Like, it was like the same thing in Great News this NBC show, you know, Nicole Richie was on the show and I was constantly pitching stuff about her being a crypto Negro because no <laughs> one would know she was black. You know what I mean? And like her saying it or like having a family member come to work or having something where everyone's like, that's your mom. Yeah. But, but you're right. <laughs> and they were, you know, and they were like, we can't do that. And I was like, it'd be funny. Cause I feel like Nicole Richie is a biracial woman. 
and it does not get discussed at all. Yes. And it's a comedy show where I'm like, the show is so silly. Like you can literally have Loretta Devine come in and be her mother. And that would be <laughs> hilarious. Yes. You know, it's so crazy. Cause I feel like even us now in the corporate space, you always feel, and we're getting bolder now, but mm-hmm. for the longest time, I felt like we needed to tread lightly. Right. And like everyone's always trying to figure out, okay, what is the acceptable version of a diverse person that we want to put on our shows? But I think I read you say this before, which is literally what I think all the time. When are we going to get to a world where black women, black people, period, can just be, I think you said this, flawed and aimless? Like doing whatever they want, just exist on the screen. Yes. And I think recently, I mean, I feel like insecure as a version of an archetype that everyone's trying to emulate but that's the first time that I think we found and all types of people fell in love with characters because they were being themselves black exactly. women smoke weed there you go right there exactly. it's not a flaw it's not a problem black yeah. women do yoga black women do yoga black women have fights we exist black, black women eat in expensive restaurants we right. bougie we patty yeah exactly and I think but that also speaks to why that show was so popular right because we wanted that representation so when we finally got it it was like yes we're tuning in we're all gonna watch this we must take to twitter you know we were ate it up and it's like you know, and I think for me, that next desire is an integrated show. Because even with Insecure, you now, you're like, everyone is black and this is a world of black people. But especially, you know, as the three of us are talking about, like, my upbringing was not just me and black people. Right. Yes. I was around white folks and Asian folks. And, you know, and I'm like, where's that community? Because either you have a white show with a black person is like the side piece. Yes. Like, girl, get it together. Yeah. Or you have an all black show and those are your two options. Oh my gosh. Yes. I just had this conversation because we were taking a pitch from a black production company mm-hmm. and my white coworker who was great was like, oh, like how do we just get a show where it's just naturally inclusive? And the production company, I don't know if I agree with or not. He was like, you either have a white show or you have a black show. There's right. nothing in between and the world's not ready for it. And I was like, oh, Right. I don't know. Like, I was like, I get what you're saying because I get what the past is. Like, if there's too many people of color on it, it's a black show. Right. But I don't know if that's what you want to keep pushing. But that's always so crazy to me, too, because I feel like I can be black, be black, 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 and guess what? My best friend is white. <laughs> like, yeah. that is life. Exactly. And there are also just ways to do it, too, where it's like, you know, because, like, I remember being on a show and it was like, we were looking at casting two actresses, one of whom was black, the other was white for the same, you know, equally good, same part. And it was like, what should we do? And then like the person in charge was like, well, would we have to account for this, like a black person being in the world because there were no other POC characters? Of course. And they were like, well, are we going to have to like explain it? Yeah. This was a show that took place in like Westchester. I was like, black people ride the Metro North. This is not complicated. Also, if you make sure to populate the world, meaning your extras, the background, all that, and they're not just white, then this one black person won't seem like they just like got lost on the way someplace. Like aliens in this world that you've created. Yes. (laughs) I was like, that's what it is. And you know, and it was like, again, one of those things where ultimately they cast the white person. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, you know. It was one of those things. And it was funny because I ran into that actress later, like maybe a year later, I was at some restaurant and she was a waitress. And I, and I was like, looking at her, I was like, I know this girl, I know this girl. And finally, you know, it hit me. And I, pu- and I pulled her, I was like, girl, you know, I worked in that writer's room and I want to say like, you had an amazing audition. It was a real conversation. Like you were in the f-ing mix. It was not, you know, a game. 
they ended up going a different way in part, and I was just in part because you looked very young, which was very true. But it was like, it was important to me when I saw her, you know, also as somebody who wants to pursue the same thing, you do this work and then you don't hear nothing, right? You either book it or it's like, bye, am I good? Am I bad? What happened? Right. And it was so important for me to like, look this beautiful young queen in the eye and say, <laughs> you've got the stuff. Keep at it, my baby. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I totally, I totally hear that. We have to be there for each other in that way. And it, like, I don't know if other races do that. Like, if someone interviews or something, get a pitch, I'm like, you were good. It just didn't work out. But, girl, keep going. Like, yeah. This is just not the right space for you. Mm-hmm. I feel like lately I've been thinking about this more. Is like, I don't think white people do that. I think, for instance, like, the idea of real talk is very cultural. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. real talk is culturally black. That when you t- work with somebody, you deal with them, you know, it's not about me mean, but just being like, hey, I need you to do this. Or, hey, yeah. I did not like when you did this. And I think a lot of other, pl- a lot of white folks, they won't do that. They won't be direct. You know, they might go to HR or they might be cold or you might be like, why wasn't I put on that project? And then it turns out you offended some bitch six months ago and she never said nothing, you know? <laughs> and I think that's the kind of thing. And that's why I've noticed too, like when I have meetings with black executives, they're always so much easier. Mm-hmm. Just like the moment you start talking, it's like, I don't got to pretend with you. Mm-hmm. I can like say, oh yeah, I'm working on this thing and it's making me crazy. And you don't think <laughs> I'm like any less of a talented person for telling you that I'm in some nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Right. right. But yeah. I also feel like it's like that kind of double standard again in which I want to make you feel comfortable so I can bring more people that look like you into this space. Like yeah. I, mm-hmm. you know, whereas I feel like uh, white executives and white people in general don't have to do that. They're privileged in that way. There's, that there okay, will there's be no another. Sh- there's yes, no shortage yeah. of opportunities. Yeah. So yeah. and there's no shortage of uh, pools that they can pull from in the event that, you know, someone leaves or goes elsewhere, things like that. We have to, I feel like sometimes just show how down we are to make mm-hmm. other people that look like us comfortable to make yep. sure they know, okay, there is a space for you to exist as yourself here. Whereas I don't feel like our white counterparts have to quite do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Oh, it's so tiring. I'm so tired. It's it's a nap. I'm exhausted. But I do want to ask you quickly, do you feel like we're getting better? As someone who's in those rooms, do you feel like the conversations are getting better? And I'm a little bit nervous because I'm saying I want you to live out your truth and your dream and you want to be in front of the camera. But are there enough people that look like you in those rooms to stand up for the folks that aren't getting in? Right. I know. I know. I mean, I, you know, I think it's still varies from show to show from boss to boss, but I do think that there is now more space to talk about things. There is an honesty you can have, Mm -hmm. you know, people are hopefully, you know, they're balking less when you go, you being white, trust me. Or like, (laughs) like, I'm telling you like, or, you know, there's certain times I'm like, can we just try it? At the table read. Just try at the table. If nobody laughs, I will stop talking about it. But trust. You know what I mean? And that's like the kind of thing I think people are willing to kind of take those chances and kind of realizing, you know, if, if you're bringing somebody in for their perspective, you have to include it. You have to include it. You can't have right. it there talking about stuff, but then nothing makes in. It's like, what well, I didn't need to be here. Exactly. You know? So I do think people are getting that. Because I also think now there are repercussions. I was just reading about someone who got fired from a show because he was making the black writers uncomfortable. It's like, okay, now you're going to learn. Now you're going to learn on your next job that you're going to have to learn how to speak to people. Behave. Right. Yep. So I do stand up as well. <laughs> that does not surprise me. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier that you talked about your partner and your vagina. And I was like, ooh, I can tell her. I can tell her that I tell <laughs> jokes. <laughs> 
So <laughs> my mom's gonna kill me. But I have a question. Like, how do you? Okay, for me, mm-hmm. navigating stand-up as a black woman was like a unique dance in New York specifically. It was very white, very male, and at telling jokes. Yeah. At sometimes one o'clock in the morning while uh-huh. you're alone <laughs> in a dingy bar. Yeah. Like, I didn't feel safe like yeah. all the time. And I think when you tell the, the jokes, people think <laughs> people think there's like a barrier, like they cross lines sometimes when you're off. So do you have any tips on navigating doing like just getting started doing stand up in like the hunger, like every single open mic, no matter what time no. it is, and like Gross. feeling no. like, oh, I can tell my truth. Mm-hmm. And be like, okay, after. I'm gonna tell you. One, like, I never prescribe to the five mics a night. I got to run around. Yeah. You know, and I think especially now comedy has so many niches, right? You can be kind of alt. You can do PowerPoint presentations. You can, like, whatever, right? That to me, it is, it's less like trying to get everywhere and find your people. Because there are going to be the rooms. There's, like, the Reductress show, the Lady Parts Justice, like, the different kind of groups. And that is where you go. You got to go to your people. Because trust me, even, like, other than what, Kevin Hart? Like, most stand-ups have a small audience, but that audience comes out for them, right? It's not like we're appealing to everybody. And to me, the more opinionated you are, the fewer people you're going to resonate with, right? That's, kind of, the, that's yeah. kind of the trade-off. It's like, you know, if you were all just like sunshine and roses, everybody would be like, we love it. Right. Yeah. But if you're saying something, some people are not going to love it. And so to me, it's like, find your audience, stand in your truth. I remember like one of my first open mics, I went with a friend who was a comedian and it was like, was it, oh God, I was a village lantern. Maybe not. Either way, it was like someplace in the West village. And it was like, you had to pay $5 to do it. I was like, this is a mistake. I didn't realize I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Those shows. <laughs> and then I got in there and I was doing jokes and it was a mostly male room, but there was one woman in the second row who was dying, yeah. dying at the jokes. And I was like, that's my girl. You're my girl. Yeah. I'm doing this for her. Like, if nobody else, I was like, I'm doing it for this person right here. And it was only five minutes. You know, I didn't have to stand up there too long. Yeah. But it was like, <laughs> I remember in my, in my head, because I was like, this is not going well. And then I was like, okay, don't think about the person who is laughing. Yeah. And that's when I realized, like, and that was also part of discovering who my audience was, right? Like, my audience is mostly young women and gay men. Mm-hmm. And now I love them, because that is an audience who will not try to murder me after a show. Right. You're so right. <laughs> Right. I don't mind, you know, and that's it. It's like, keep going, like, find the spot you like and just keep going there. Because you need a warm place to try new stuff. Yeah. yeah. An audience is not into you. Like, that's not going to be where you play and you find what works. It's going to be where you're like, I better do the stuff that's really tight because I really don't want them to turn on me. Yeah. And that's not going to be how you develop. That's not how, I mean, like, new material, I mean. Like, that's not how you're going to find your new stuff. Yeah. And find your crew that's willing to spend $10 on one water to get into the club. (laughs) Thank you, Kirby. Thank you. Bringer show. (laughs) To get into the club. I got to spend $10 on this bottle of water. Okay. You are always appreciated, friend. (laughs) I'll drink Dasani for you, girl. (laughs) A $7 Dasani. That is friendship. That is real. Poland Spring is 10. Dasani is 7. Yes. I've done many a bringer show. I fully know that. That was actually how, like, the first time I finally let my mom see me do comedy was because it was a bringer show. Because I was like, she has friends with money. You know what I mean? People who had jobs. Good. And so I was like, will you bring some friends from work, please? <laughs> well, we just have a little game that we want to play with you. Ooh, okay. Because just like you, Naomi, we also love a Lifetime movie. So <laughs> we came up with this game. If it's not good, just don't say anything. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but it is 
out. <laughs> Not in my lifetime. Wow. Kirby is it. so petty. <laughs> we struggle with the games, girl. We struggle with the games, but we're always going to try. <laughs> and basically, we are going to give you just three titles of Lifetime movies. Mm-hmm. And we want you to come up what you think they're about. Just give us a log line. Give us Perfect. a description. I love it. We know you're funny. We'll pop out. So it's hopefully you haven't seen any of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you, you want to do the first one, Amira? <laughs> okay. Cocaine Godmother. Cocaine Godmother. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is a movie about a woman who's like a drug kingpin, a lady drug kingpin. Ooh. Yes. Is that correct? We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, cool. So we're just guessing. Yeah. I decided she's a lady kingpin. She's in her 50s. Uh-huh. And she uh, takes no prisoners. She probably doesn't have much of a romantic life because she's too busy running the syndicate. Yes. Ooh, I understand. Okay, that sounds like a movie <laughs> that I would watch. You know what? I feel like her romantic life, she like usually ends up killing her lover or something. Like They do, they do something stupid, you know? They yeah. do something dumb. And they're like the enemy. Or y'all, is it our high schools? <laughs> <laughs> wow. 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 Maybe not Private mine, but... high school. <laughs> It's about a mom at a private high school who sells cocaine to her son's friends. To the kids, to the children, to the youth. Can we call Lifetime Green Light? <laughs> Okie dokie. The next one is mm-hmm. called Baby Monitor, colon, Sound of Fear. Baby Monitor, colon, Sound of Fear. All right. This is a thriller about a woman who's not in the house, but somehow she can hear her baby. And while she is... <laughs> And while she's, like, out, she, like, hears a crime being committed in her house. Uh-huh. I don't think it's a crime towards the baby. Lifetime is not going to hurt babies. But it's, like, through the monitor she hears, like, her husband. Oh, she hears her husband being murdered. Oh. <laughs> That's what she hears. And um, she's, like, you know, she's got the baby monitor and she's, like, trying to drive to the police. And she's, like, I can hear it. I can hear it happening. <laughs> but by the time she gets there, it's over. And they're, like, ma'am, why are you holding a baby monitor and screaming? Your baby's right here. The trailer is done. <laughs> the trailer. <laughs> a tease. That visual in my head, that is the trailer right there. <laughs> okay. The pom-pom murders. The pom-pom murders. Well, naturally, there's a cheerleader on the lamb. Yes, there is. A cheerleader has murdered another cheerleader. And that is probably over a guy. Think about that. Mm, Men be ruin everything. They do. They, like, both have a crush on someone named Cody, who's a wrestler or something. (laughs) Cody's a good name for boys in Lifetime movies. Yeah. That's a good Lifetime movie name. Yep. And And then, like, one of them... Like, Taylor kills Marcy. Does that make sense? Yes. I see it. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not your average bring it on, but I heard you. (laughs) Thank you. The pom-pom murders. Murders. Done. Lifetime, I hope you're listening. We have some fantastic pitches. I know. We gave them so much for the free. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For free. We cannot keep working for free. No more. No more pitches, okay? If you want some more pitches, you're going to have to give me some money. Yes. Done. That is it. Yes. (laughs) Well... That was our game. That was so I fun. loved it. You guys, what a fun time we just had. I know, but before, we time. have like one more statement. We like to end every podcast the same. Mm-hmm. So if you can fill in the blank with this statement, my black is amazing because. This is why I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> my black is amazing because it is where I find my sisterhood. Oh! Yeah. 
snaps to that. That was yes. beautiful. I had so much fun. Oh my gosh. We knew we were going to have a good time with you though. This was a good one. This was good for us. I'm really, I'm happy we did this. I'll be back next week and we'll just keep talking. <laughs> Come on in. Working through things. Welcome. Welcome. Yes. <laughs> yes. Pull up a seat. It is yours. It is yours for the taking. Yes. This is my table. Naomi, we do want to ask you really quickly too. I know we normally end on that, but we want to give you opportunity to brag about yourself too. Outside of this incredible podcast that you are hosting, what's next? What do you want to manifest on this show? What do you have coming up? Well, you can see me on the Apple TV show Mythic Quest. Season two started May 7th. I also host the comedy podcast Couples Therapy with the Jubu in question. The Jubu. So we just out here trying to do it up. Check out either one of those. Oh, you out here for real. Working. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. We love a working queen. We love (laughs) a busy queen. (laughs) Well, we love you. And thank you for coming on and chatting with us. And we're glad to have you in the family because. Yes. I love to be in the family. This is beautiful. Sis, we needed you. We needed you. We did need you. You guys are the best. The Table is Ours is produced by us, Kirby Dixon and Amira Lawali. This episode was also produced by McKamey Lynn and Richard White and edited by Melissa Kaplan. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. The Table is Ours was created by A&E. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.